For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. It's been a difficult week for me, I'll be honest with you. I've had a lot going on, kind of unrelated to Mississippi State sports to kind of deal with. You know, life happens to all of us, and that's one of the things that I've dealt with this week. I was out of town yesterday, really the first time I've left, you know, in northern Mississippi uh, since I got back from Nashville, you know, I, we were in Nashville for the 247 SEC Publishers Conference the week of the SEC Men's Tournament. And so Nemeth and I come back late Tuesday night, and they canceled the thing on Wednesday. So I was here, and I have not really left the area since then. So we're talking, what, six weeks or so? And then I uh, had an aunt die over the weekend, and I uh, had six different forms of cancer. And uh, she beat it five times for better part of 39 years. You know, she battled through all that. And so, um, be that as it may, you know, it's uh, it's a sad time. And then to go down and, and uh, spend some time with my uncle and my family and and uh, cousins and people of that nature. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a different day and time. You don't get the opportunity these days to really celebrate and mourn the loss of the people that we lose because of the precautions related to COVID-19 and the pandemic. And so I uh, went down to Columbia Miss, my hometown. It's always good to go back. And then, but once I'm down there, like I'm, I'm glad that I don't live there. You know what I'm saying? It's, and that's not a, anything against anybody down there. I love going back, but it's like, it's a different chapter in life. And uh, I was eager to get back, go down, spend time with the family and, uh, you know, had some, uh, Chicken and steak fajitas last night for dinner and honor Cinco de Mayo. Even though I'm not uh, Mexican, I can still celebrate. Appreciate some good Mexican cuisine. Got back and I uh, got settled in. Kind of, and I was happy to be back in my own house. You know, there's just something about being home. Kind of gives you a chance to to kind of take it all in. And so, uh, go to bed last night after a long and emotional day. I drove down to Columbia, went to the funeral, drove back. And uh, we didn't do anything yesterday. Really, one of the only days I, I haven't been logged into our website at all. And uh, just spent some time to, to kind of deal with everything. And and I wake up this morning and uh, I want to thank my friend Bob Grin Buchanan, one of the uh, celebrities of the Mississippi Delta. Grin reached out this morning and shared with me that my friend Tom Minyard passed away last night, tragically. It's a very, very sad week. And so in honor of Tom, who was an avid Boneyard listener, matter of fact, Tom Minyard was the first person besides me to complete 
The Boneyard Bulldog Burger Challenge. He ate every hamburger on the menu, was a great customer at Bulldog Burger, uh, solicited other people, and not just because he loved Bulldog Burger Company, but because Tom was supportive of me and was a great friend of mine. And I really only befriended him here in the last couple of years and uh, got to know him, you know, through the show and that sort of stuff. And then it came to some book signings and every road baseball series I went to, he was there. And uh, made it his business to go and befriend the MSU baseball parents, to go let them know that they weren't alone. And uh, he would take pictures and videos and things like that and share from time to time because there's sometimes our baseball parents, it's quite the commitment. You know, and sometimes they can't make every single series or every game. And so Tom and his lovely wife, Pam, they would document some of these games and things like that and take pictures and send them back to our baseball parents for no other reason than the fact that he loved Mississippi State. Tom Menard was a lot about what's right with Mississippi State. And so in honor of Tom and his passing, today's show is going to be completely about baseball. That's all. It's just going to be baseball. And I had a lot of people reach out a couple of days ago and say, man, Steve, love, love it when you talk baseball. And appreciated the baseball commentary on the last show. So in honor of Tom, we're doing baseball. We're not going to talk about viruses. We're not going to talk about NCAA legislation. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to talk baseball. That's what we're going to do in honor of my friend Tom Minyard and his favorite restaurant, Bulldog Burger Company. Let's thank them for sponsoring the show and also, too, for providing uh, Tom and I both some great memories. Bulldog Burger Company, two locations now to serve you. A great restaurant quality hamburgers had by all who enter. University Drive right here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Go by. Let them feast with you on this uh, family feast they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Let, let Mom, let them give you a night off. You get four Bulldog burgers. That's the signature burger to Bulldogs. So four Bulldogs, four orders of fries, and a gallon of sweet tea for $29.95. You can't beat it. You can order online at eatwithus.com. Again, that's eatwithus.com. The Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. Okay, so let's get into some baseball news. We had some baseball news yesterday while I was away from the internet. We had a handful of guys enter the transfer portal, and that's not going to be the end of it. What I mean by that is, is with the, the adjustment in rosters, with so many guys coming back due to the you know, the new year of eligibility and, and the fact that uh, there, there's a, a, an abbreviated draft, their guys are going to be looking for playing time. There are going to be guys that, um, you know, are encouraged to, hey, listen, here's the deal. You know, we've got, uh, you know, three guys at your position, and chances are you're not going to see the field until you're a junior, perhaps a senior. So if you want to go look for something else, you know, we get it. We hate to lose you, but we want to be fair to you. So four guys entered the portal earlier this week. Uh, Bryce Brock, who has played some as an outfielder and has even pitched a little bit at Mississippi State, uh, he is moving on. Best of luck to him. I think he could have played this year for us in 2020. Don't know about long term. You know, we've got some other guys coming in. But listen, Bryce came in, made a contribution to Mississippi State. We're very grateful for that. Wish him the absolute best. Hunter French, an outfielder, 5'9 outfielder from DeSoto Central. You know, State's done really well at DeSoto Central. Uh, you know, French is a guy that some people thought would really, you know, kind of compete for some playing time next year. But uh, 
He is now in the portal and will be looking to move on. Right-handed pitcher Josh Hill, another Mississippi private school kid, uh, was a late signee for us. And uh, one of those things, too, when you begin to look how this thing shakes out, he was already here, and then Mississippi State will likely have one of the best pitching staffs in America next year. With all these junior college arms coming in and all the arms coming back, with the exception of one or so, there's not going to be a lot of innings available in the midweek because you're going to have guys like, you know, Carlisle Kessler and David Dunleavy, not to mention all these junior college guys that are, and we're just kind of beginning to find their roles returning. So I don't, you know, listen, if you're a, if you're a high school pitcher that uh, is probably a, a developmental guy, and they're all developmental guys to a certain extent. That's not what I'm suggesting. But if you're one of those guys that maybe came in and you're going to benefit from a redshirt year, and then you probably got to kind of work your way in over the next couple of years, you're almost better off going to junior college. To me, the biggest loss of the bunch is a guy that uh, Justin Foscue and Jordan Westberg both told me was a guy they really thought was going to be able to help us. And that's Austin Kelly. He's a catcher out of Washington School. There was some discussion last year post-fall that he might be a power bat in the order, perhaps, as a DH from time to time. He is a guy that can really swing it. But when you look at the fact that Hancock is coming back with another year of eligibility, Logan Tanner's coming back, and he was a guy that was absolutely crushing it defensively and offensively, was among the best fresh freshman catchers in the country. And so now if I'm a young guy, I'm thinking, okay, I signed to be a part of this, and now let's see, hmm, Luke Hancock going to be around a couple more years. Logan Tanner's probably going to be here for three years. So where does that leave me? You have to really guess. You know, because, listen, here's the deal. We only play with one catcher. You get four infielders and three outfielders and a whole bunch of pitchers, but there's only one catcher, and generally you don't carry more than three on scholarship. You know, and then you've got a bullpen catcher guy that's a walk-on, that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, and Austin Kelly's simply better than that. You know, he is not a guy that I think is going to come here and be content to sit for, you know, for two years and then kind of work his way in as maybe the Saturday or Sunday guy on a on weekend. I mean, this is a guy that's a bona fide SEC guy. So I don't, I don't blame him in the least. He's moved on. Now, be prepared. There could be a couple more guys leave. Okay, and it doesn't mean that anything is wrong with your baseball program. It just simply means that the roster is bursting at the seams. We're having to make some adjustments. And many of these decisions are Mississippi State's decisions. What I mean by that is, is they just kind of explain to the kid, listen, here's where we go. Here, here's how, here's your place in the pecking order. And then we want to be fair to you. Now, we could very easily just say, hey, listen, hey, we love you. We expect you to come back next year and compete for playing time, which is theoretically true. But I respect the fact that Crystal Monas is kind of being honest with these kids and saying, listen, here's, here's where you are, and here's what we've got. Here's where we stand, and here's where you are kind of in the pecking order at your position with all of these players coming back, and then we've got players coming in, and then we've got some guys that aren't going to be granted a year of service because everybody is getting essentially a free registrar year. And you only get a short time in life to play ball. So Mississippi State doing the right thing. And we're, listen, LSU has had a bunch. Oh, Miss is going to have a bunch. That's just part of the deal. Okay? It's just simply part of the deal. These are unprecedented times. And so if you find out that we've got a couple more 
that entered the portal in the next say, week to 10 days, go ahead and say, you know what, Steve told me that was going to happen because I've been told that's a possibility. I've been in contact with Mississippi State Baseball, and this is what they share with me. Listen, hey, this is the process now. This is one of those deals where we've got guys out here that uh, that want to go play ball, and they're not going to have an opportunity to play here. And so we wish them the best. And so, you know, just be mindful. There are going to be some guys, names that you know, that uh, are going to be elsewhere. You know, I remember Luke Reynolds left, and it was a big deal. You know, uh, Blaylock left, and it was a big deal. You, you remember Brant Blaylock scored the winning run against Mississippi State as a pinch runner here a couple years ago and beat us. It's part of it because we recruited such a high level. That this is These aren't going to be players that just drop off into the abyss and are never heard from again. Some of these guys are probably going to sign with Power 5 schools or end up transferring there, and you know, because Mississippi State doesn't sign scrubs. Mississippi State signs players that can play. When you're a national power, that's what happened. Even your second, third team guys could likely play somewhere else. So if you find out, oh, well, this guy's transferred to Memphis or to UAB and, and they go there and end up being an all-conference guy, hey, wish them well. We don't want these guys to just drop off the face of the earth. Just because things didn't work out here doesn't mean they're bad kids. doesn't mean they're bad players. It just means that, you know, there's adjustments that have to be made on both sides. You know, if I'm a player, I, I don't listen. I don't want to be out here as as the the, the guy to, to shag fly balls and BP. If that's my role on the team, let me leave, man. Let me go somewhere else. Let me go somewhere else because I, you know, at some point I got to go get a job like everybody else. I want to play ball as long as I can. And I, listen, and for many people, it ended in high school. But if I'm fortunate enough to have a college uniform on, I still want to play, even if even if that's uh, at a lower level. Not everybody can play in the SEC or Mississippi State or LSU. And, again, it doesn't mean they're bad players. It just means you're somebody a little better. I'll remind you, too, our friends at Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show, heard from Stan DeMann and Miss Kathy Brown both in the last 24 hours, heard from uh, the lovely, talented Susie as well. Everybody's doing well over there. You can't make it in to see them just yet. There'll be some some changes we make in the coming weeks that will allow you guys to kind of get in there. But until that time, you can shop online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, you get a phrase to pay, save you a little cash. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. So let's talk a little bit of draft stuff here before we get into today's top 10 list. Getting hearing more and more and more and more and more chatter that the MLB is probably going to settle with a five-round draft, which is the minimum requirement. It is a minimum requirement in the collective bargaining agreements. You have to have a five-round draft. Now, the original deal that was proposed was a ten-round draft with a reduction in signing bonuses round six through ten, and then I think the max signing bonus for a free agent was twenty grand. I think that's right. And there was some language in all of that that the Players Association objected to. And I think, again, it's also important to remember, we're not having spring training this year. And so you don't have guys that are retiring. You don't have guys that are getting cut. You don't have guys that are getting traded and decide, you know what, I think I'm done with all this. 
So everybody is basically sitting at home and getting another year of service towards their, their, their baseball contract and their pension. And so they don't need a big influx of, of players. You know, they, they're still going to sort this thing out, but you know, they're not going to have the benefit of kind of going through the spring and kind of thinning the herd a little bit. And so this first-year player draft is going to be very abbreviated uh, to kind of deal with, to deal with some of those roster concerns because unlike college baseball, there is a players association that is going to look out for even the worst player. They've got an obligation to those guys as long as they're part of the players' union and the players' association to fight for those guys. So that's one of the reasons you're seeing things the way they are. It's also, too, going to limit the amount of busts, I think, in this draft because you're going to take the proven commodities. This is not a high school rich draft. There's not going to be, there's going to be some guys that will be first rounders all the time. But the bottom line is you're going to see more proven commodity guys taken because you've got a shorter draft. You've got a, you know, fewer picks. You can't afford to take a chance on a developmental guy. You've got to go out and get a guy that you feel like can play sooner rather than later. So let's kind of look how this thing shakes out. So here's where we are. We all know, without even saying, that uh, Jordan Westberg is the first rounder. Just about anybody you talk to in baseball will tell you. And there, there are some concerns. Like, can he hit the breaking ball consistently? You know, that's one of those things. That's when, I guess that's why you have the minor leagues. Allow him to continue to work on that. But the rest of the tool package is very good. I had somebody tell me yesterday he could go in the first 10 picks of a draft. That's how, how highly thought of he is in Major League Baseball circles. A lot of discussion that Foscue is going to potentially be a back-end first-rounder, second-rounder, early second-rounder probably at the latest. But he is another guy, too, that's kind of played his way up because of the fact that he's shown some real versatility. And, and, he, and unlike a lot of other power hitters, he's very disciplined at the plate. He doesn't take a lot of wild hacks. He'll let you walk him. You know, he's up there to mash, but at the same time, too, he's not going to get himself out just to prove a point. And then there's JT Ginn. More and more people are saying, you know what, there is a real chance that he ends up being a back-end first-rounder, and that money is comparable to what, what he turned down. And if that's the case, you got to feel like if he gets a second bite at the apple, he's gone. No guarantee that's going to happen, but there is there is part of the discussion now and, and listen, here's the deal. Here's what it's going to boil down to. JT Ginn is part of Scott Boris group. And so this is not going to be based on, you know, some cross-checkers report or some lead scout reports. It's basically going to be what a general manager is willing to do. If a general manager says, you know what, I believe the medical people, I believe when we got going, we believe this guy's going to be okay, we're going to take him. But there's a lot of unknowns. And that's and it's not about his ability. It's about his durability. So we, we've rehashed that many times, but if you see JT Ginn's name go in the first round, don't be surprised. Don't be the least bit surprised. There are a lot of people that think an awful lot of JT Ginn, and they're just not scared away by arm surgery. It's become so routine in the baseball. It's just, you know, it's not something that people are as concerned about as they once were. Okay, Rowdy Jordan's not going to be drafted. Okay, Rowdy, probably in, in a full draft, Rowdy is probably a guy that gets taken late teens in the 20s, something like that, and then probably signs. So I expect Rowdy to be back. I think Josh Hatcher probably loses out in a five-round draft. I think in a 10-round draft, he's probably a six- or seven-round guy and probably goes. He was really beginning to show some promise, and everybody knew when we, when we signed him, he was one of the best left-handed hitters out of Georgia. 
And so he's had some good numbers. He's had some good summers. And so it only takes one team to fall in love with him. But I, I would think right now he is probably just outside of a five-round draft. And really that leaves you kind of with the wild card of Tanner Allen. You know, Tanner Allen is one of the better left-handed hitters in the country. He has proven that he can do it. And he's a guy that has proven he can hit left-handers. And so that's a real commodity. You know, there's a lot of questions about him, though. His makeup kind of leads you a little bit to think, okay, yeah, he can really stroke the baseball, but where are we going to play him defensively? He's only played now, filled, you know, very, very small amount. Did some with Team USA Baseball, did some this fall. And, and really, he's just getting comfortable out there. You know, five, nine and three quarters or whatever he is, he, he's not a first baseman on the next level. And so then you've had all the injuries and then the uncertainty about the position. I think he falls outside of, of the five rounds. And I've been told that he's a guy, too, that you know, he, he wants top three-round type money. And he's a guy, too, that just, may just decide, you know what, you guys are – I'll see y'all next year. I'll do it all again next year and come back because he still has some eligibility. You know, he, he has the right of refusal. And so if I had to be conservative today, I think Foscu, Westberg for sure gone, probably again. And outside of that, I think the guys are probably back. Now, you look at the signees, it's a little different deal. I've heard all kinds of stuff about Blaze. A lot of people have said, you know what, he is uh, he is a guy that is a straight fastball killer, needs some time to learn to adjust to a, a big-time uh, breaking ball. So he may not get the money he wants, and it's still a lot of money. I think he'll be drafted pretty early in the draft. I don't know that he's a first-rounder. We'll see. I've had some people tell me he probably may slip into the second round. Austin Hendrick, outfielder, left-handed pitcher out of West Allegheny in Pennsylvania, will probably be selected among the first 10 picks in the draft. And then from there, we'll see. We'll see what Kellum Clark does. You know, we'll see what, uh, you know, Mickey Tepper does. There's some other guys out there that might have been top 10 round type picks that might have a decision to make. And those are the things we look at, we wonder about. But that's kind of where it stands today, and we'll have information sooner rather than later. Let's talk top ten list. Had a friend here this with me and said, Steve, what about you? Know, I know you're a baseball guy, and I am at my core. Those of you that have uh, attended a Facebook Live event with me, sometimes I, I do it from my office, and behind me you'll see I've got uh, I got my oldest son, a lot of his high school baseball caps behind me, and uh, got a lot of baseball cards with Diamond Dogs and made it to the Major League Show. I'm a baseball guy for sure. I said, what are, you, what are your thoughts about MLB uniforms? I'm not a huge uniform guy, but I'll tell you, it's a guy that is a traditionalist. I get it. And so I'll give you my thoughts on what I think are the top 10 MLB uniforms. Uh, the number 10 one on my list, I, I like the, uh, the Mariners throwback. You know, the white one with all the piping that says Mariners across the front. I really like that one, uh, and I think they look good in the grays too, but I kind of prefer the whites. I think the whites look really good for them, match as well. Number nine, uh, I love the Frisco Giants. That's my team. I was a Braves fan for many years, and then when Will Clark made his way up to the minors, I made the switch over, and then I stayed with the Giants through the uh, the Barry Bonds and Kevin Mitchell and uh, Robbie Thompson, that whole stretch. 
We've won a few championships since then. And Will Clark is probably responsible for all of the Giants fans in the state of Mississippi, to be honest with you. And there's a bunch of us. I like the whites, though. I like all the Giants uniforms. I don't like the orange nearly as much. I think all that stuff's a little bit silly. But I like this the white with the Giants across the front. I think that is the that is the uniform for the Giants. Number eight on my list on their Bay Area team. I like those early 90s Oakland A's green Bash Brothers uniform, the Dennis Eckersley, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, if I can dare say his name. Uh, those green uniforms, I, I, that is the quintessential Oakland A's look for me. Now, I know the Dodgers beat them in what's at the 88 World Series, the Kurt Gibson moment. I hate the Dodgers. I absolutely do. And a lot of people would say that, that the Dodger blue uniforms would be on, should be on this list. I disagree. I'm not ever – to me, the, the L.A. Dodgers, and I know I'm going to hurt some feelings when I say this, they're the old Miss of Major League Baseball. And speaking of that stuff, I didn't pick the, the Whitey Herzog uh, 85 Cardinals powder blues either just because I believe that uniform has been tainted. Not to mention, when in the, in the, the late 80s, the, the rivalry between the Cardinals and the Giants was immense. I know that people say, well, the, the Cubs and Cardinals – yeah, that's great, but the difference is the Cardinals and Giants actually played for something. And uh, I remember the Jose Kendo and Ozzie Smith and all that stuff with Will Clark at second base and Candy Maldonado had to go out there and, and punch Jose Kendo in the mouth. You know, and so maybe I'm a little bit, maybe I've got a little bit of a uh, you know bias against the Cardinals. I know many of our fans here in Mississippi love the Cardinals. And listen, God bless you. I just don't agree. Number seven on my list, I really like the mid-90s Orioles gray uniforms. And I, and I think really Baltimore has kind of had one of those traditional looks, you know, throughout their history. You know, a lot of people have had, you know, the the wild colors and that sort of stuff. And a lot of that, I know it's part of marketing. But the Orioles, for the most part, have kind of stayed true and uh, really like the classic Cal Ripken look. It's one of those things, too, most people don't understand, you know, about Cal Ripken playing shortstop, you know. He said the best advice he was ever given was from his dad when uh, he was at third initially, and they moved him to short. And somewhere around here, I got a couple of Cal Ripken rookie cards. And um, so they told him, here's what I want you to do. You're going to move to short, and when they hit the ball to you, field it and get a good grip on the baseball and throw it to first. And that was it. That was all the instruction that he had. And he said that was the best advice he was ever given as a player, because you don't you don't want to go over over complicate things. Fill the baseball, get a good grip, throw it across the diamond. Sometimes we make it too complicated, don't we? Cal Ripken's one of those guys that did it right, man. It's one of the best thing, one of the great things about baseball. Through all of that nonsense and all those uh, game stoppages and the you know the lockouts and all that and the steroids and stuff, you know I think Cal really kind of helped heal the game a little bit. Number six on my list is the late 80s Braves. I was a Braves fan. You know, I, I kind of jumped on board. I was a Yankees fan, and I, I defected to the Braves when we got cable in South Mississippi. And I got to see the wonder that was Dale Murphy at 635 with Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren, you know, five nights a week. It was wonderful. You could watch baseball through the week. Because, you know, when I was a kid, and I know many of you guys remember this, you know, we had uh, we basically the only time we could watch baseball on national television was on Saturdays. That was it. 
you watch the box scores all week and you watch the standings, and, and that's how you kind of kept up with the game unless you could catch a game on the radio. And then we'd watch baseball on Saturday, and, and more times than not, you only got to see your favorite team play a couple times each year. And then all of a sudden, you could see the Braves all the time, and, you know, the NL West was a lot of fun. Those Dodgers teams, as much as I hate them, you know, with Fernando Valenzuela and Steve Sachs and uh, you know, Pedro Guerrero, and there were some great teams. You know, and I remember watching them play against you know, the Expos, and, you know, the, which are now the Washington Nationals. But uh, when they made the jump from the early 80s, they got out of those light blues and they went into the throwback, kind of the Milwaukee Brewers look. They still wear these uniforms. You know, the great whites with the Braves across the front with the Tomahawk. I think, to me, that is the Braves look. I don't think there's any question. Love that uniform, really do. But again, I made the jump. When Will Clark made the jump, so did I. Number five on the list, and I think this is an underrated uniform, and it's the Cubs pinstripes. It's very recognizable, you know, with the blue trim and then the Cubs logo over the heart. It's uh, it's one of those things that uh, you look at and you know immediately who you're looking at. You know, it's like when you see Penn State or Alabama on the football field, when you see the Cubs take the field, there's no question who you're looking at. Number four, kind of an underrated uni, and it's kind of been a classic one. You know, I, I have a uh, 72 Roberto Clemente card in my collection. It's one of my most prized possessions when it comes to my baseball card collection. And I've got a bunch of them, tens of thousands of them. I not bought any in a long time until recently, but... Uh, but that Pirates uniform, if you go back and look, you know, all the way through, they have kind of stayed true, much like the Steelers, much like the Penguins. The, you know, the Pittsburgh identity is pretty much the same. It's kind of synonymous, all black and gold. But I, the Pirates uniform is always, especially the, I think the gray ones are the best ones. The white ones are pretty good, but the gray ones I think are the best. Love the Pirates look. Love all of that. Number three, also the grays. I could go with the, the the traditional whites because I think that that they probably have the widest whites of any MLB team. And that's the Detroit Tigers. I, I mentioned to a friend of mine I can still see Sparky Anderson, you know, wearing that gray uniform with that black turtleneck. I mean, it just that's exact. That's how I visualize him. And uh, you know, I remember I guess it was '84 when uh, Alan Trammell and, and the Tigers had such a great season and you know got off to that huge start, lost four games I think in the first fifty or so. It was ridiculous. Number two on the list, to me, one of the most iconic uniforms in sports, and that's the white Boston Red Sox uniform that just says Red Sox across it. But, you know, you, you can go with the grays. I know with Boston across the front. You know, to me, it seems like every big game, even in those great you know, series between you know, the, the Red Sox and Yankees you know, a few years back, it seemed like any time the Red Sox wore the white uniforms, they were in business, man. I mean, like when I think of them making big plays and big wins, it's that white uniform. I think that is iconic. But to me, the most iconic uniform in all of baseball, it's never – it hasn't changed much, really. You know, it's like when people say, we're going to do the throwback. Well, they can just go out there and trot out their regular pinstripes, and that's the Yankees. The New York Yankees, the most prestigious team in all of baseball. I know a lot of people hate the Yankees. Nobody's out there helping the Yankees. Nobody was a big George Steinbrenner fan except when they were winning. But the New York Yankees throughout history have been great. Absolutely great. I used to have 
a nineteen a baseball signed by the entire 1961 Yankees. Used to have that. And when my son was uh, competing nationally in Taekwondo, I sold some of my baseball memorabilia to help fund all that. You know, we had four kids at the house, and there, there he was having to travel over the country and compete, and competed at a very high level, at a national level, and, and uh, nearly won a national championship, an AAU Junior Olympic Championship. And so I sold a bunch of baseball memorabilia. That's the one thing I look back and say, man, I wish I had that one back, but I wouldn't trade any of that for those memories I made with my son. So that's my list. You can have your own list. It'll be incorrect. Uh, but those are my favorite MLB uniforms. And, uh, again, not a huge fan of, uh, you know, the craziness, you know, with all the color, like, you know, you know, the Rays are a good example. You know, I think the Rays have kind of tried to, in the Marlins boat, have tried to kind of build a franchise and kind of build an identity with these wild colors and stuff. That doesn't really appeal to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I feel. So one of the discussions that we have had recently over on Gene's page is about what's the lineup look like next year? Because people say, okay, we got to rebuild the middle infield. Should get most of the outfield back. So how, how does it look like right now? What do you think happens? Well, here's what I would say. As I mentioned to you guys earlier, I don't think Josh Hatcher is going to uh, to be drafted high enough to go. Now, I may be completely wrong. I th- again, if it's a five-round draft, as now we're kind of hearing, I think he falls just behind that. I think he is just out of that. So I think Hatcher comes back, plays first, has a huge year. I expect a big, big year from Josh Hatcher. He was really just kind of coming into his own. You know, he made some big plays down the stretch last year, uh, playing in right field. You know, when McNamee was out, he came in and uh, – and then hit one of the most majestic home runs I have ever seen at Duty Noble Field. You remember he hit that ball halfway up uh, the batting nine center field out there during postseason last year. I mean, an absolute laser of a shot. So I expect him to be back. And so with Foskey moving on, people have said, well, Steve, do you think Landon Jordan moves to second? I, and I don't. And we, we've tried that, and I just don't think that he his makeup fits as a middle infielder. I think he's probably a DH and maybe kind of a platoon guy at third. You know, I don't know, maybe make an outfield out of him. But I think you need his bat in the lineup. I expect Mason Land to be the second baseman. He is another one of those guys that many of the players mentioned to me as a guy they expected him to be a dude. They, they thought last year he might even kind of be in contention to uh, to win that third, third baseman spot. But he, he gets a little bit banged up last year. And so it, this is where – Everything kind of resetting works, I think, well for him because obviously he didn't lose a year of eligibility, and now he has the potential to come in here and be a three-year starter. And of course, you know the age get the age thing is going to have some draft eligible consequences down the, down the road here. But Mason Land is a great hitter and is certainly capable of ha- handling the second base responsibility. So I, I think that's your second baseman. I think your shortstop. There's no there's no decision to make here, guys. It's Cameron James. And I have been high on that kid last year, and there were times he had a little up and down, and people were like, oh, you know, Steve, I wish you'd get off the bandwagon. I'm not getting off the bandwagon. Cameron James is a dude. Cameron James last year had some big hits for State. And, yeah, there were a couple times he made some errors, and that's what you, yeah, there's always going to be a little give and take with freshmen. But he's not your typical freshman. And now he's going to come back, and he's going to move to shortstop, which is his natural position. He's not going to be intimidated. And, and to be honest with you, I think he has better range than Jordan Westberg does. 
I know a lot of people are very high on Jordan Westberg, and they feel like the tool package is certainly that of MLB caliber. Uh, but I think Cameron James working back into that six hole, you know, making that difficult play, kind of going away from the infield, I think he is going to be a little bit better suited to make that play. I think Cameron James is your shortstop for the foreseeable future. Until he goes pro, I think Cam is your guy and will hit in the heart of that order. Probably, you know, top half of the order. I, I think, you know, last year he was about him getting some cuts against some college pitching. But I, I look for him to really be a great player at Mississippi State. I am a huge Cameron James fan. When you see me at Duty Noble Field and he has won a game for us, you can come up and say, you know what, Steve, I told you so. Because that's what's going to happen. I'm telling you, Cameron James is a dude. I mentioned Len Jordan is a guy that uh, could factor in at third. You know, we saw down the stretch of the last couple of ball games, we had Tanner Leggett playing third. He's played some in the outfield, played some at third. Got to pick it up offensively. But he'll be in the mix there at third. He is a guy defensively that I, that he's athletic enough. It's just a matter of kind of letting him come along. He needs to make a jump offensively, but he is one of those guys in the mix. But there could also be one of these freshmen. If Kellum Clark comes to school, he signed with State, so if he doesn't get drafted in the first five rounds, I guess the only five rounds, and he comes to school, he is in the mix at third base. I, I see him kind of in the same vein as Cam James. I think that he is a guy that will be a multi-year starter here and a guy that will do a great job for us. And I think once he gets settled in, the fall will be big for him. And we got to get we got to get some productive cuts in the fall, but he is a guy that could play as a freshman. You get into the outfield, it's a little more settled there. Left field, I guess, is kind of a coin flip. I would say if we had to go play a ball game tomorrow, we'd probably put Brad Cumbus out there. You know, Brad at some point is probably going to have to make a decision between football and, and baseball. And, and I, I'm told Mike Leach is probably more easier to work with about all that than Dan Mullen or Joe Moorhead was. Not that Joe was fine with it, but, uh, you know, I've been told Mike Leach, is, you know, as long as they're working out and staying healthy and doing good things, that, that he is uh, not opposed to guys playing both sports, provided they make the team on baseball. So I think Brad probably would be your opening day left fielder. And Brad is such a tank out there. You know, he's got a big arm. He's a great athlete. He can make the tough catch, and he can hit a fastball a country mile. Got to get a little bit better picking up spin. Got to be a little more disciplined at the play because there's a lot of times, too, and you kind of feel it. Like if he misses, if he swings through a fastball or fouls one back, it's one of those things you start feeling like that you're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? If he ever gets in a disadvantage count and gets behind the count a little bit where a pitcher can kind of mix and match, he's just at this point – is not good enough at recognizing that breaking ball and being able to stop his bat to extend the at bat. And you got to be able to foul those breaking balls off when you can't hit them and then make them come to you and give you that fastball, something you can handle. But I think that that's, that's a guy, honestly, at this point, you know, with the change in offensive philosophy, baseball might be his better pass to the pros. Well, you know, we'll see. Center fielder's Rowdy Jordan, simple as that. Your Rowdy's not going to be drafted in a, in a, in a five-round draft. Uh, was probably not going to be drafted in a 10-round draft, but is a guy that I think has a professional future. Does he make the show? I don't know. But I think that he is one of those guys that kind of is what he is. He's really more of a left fielder playing center field. He doesn't have that elite speed. You know, the guys like Mike Kelly and Jake Mangum and, and Dan Van Cleve and Jody Hurst, of course, you know, was uh, a bit of a long strider, so he covered a lot of ground. Might not have run to 60 in the same time as Kelly and Mangum, but uh, certainly could uh, could could field balls and gap to gap. 
But Rowdy is a guy, too. You know, that was the thing the first two years. He really struggled the first month or so of the season. And that's what's so unfortunate this year is he got off to such a big start. And uh, I was eager to see what was he going to do down the stretch. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, he got the right goggles and he's wearing them and doing a good job with them. But, you know, that's your center fielder. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next year with him in the draft. But, uh, you know, Rowdy's a great kid, and I think in many ways kind of typifies the Mississippi State story. You know, really, really good player, maybe not great at any one thing, but not bad at anything. You know, he is a guy that is just a pretty well-rounded player. Really like Rowdy a lot. Like the fact that he's a switch hitter here in the top of the order, too. And then Tanner Allen, I think, again, re- returns, and then we'll play right field. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, some of these other guys, you know, that are signees. And that's one of the things when we look at – we talked a little bit about pitching in the show. You know, there, that's the thing when you begin to think about, okay, let's say let, – let's assume right now that Ginn doesn't come back. All right, well, you, still, you know what you've got with Christian McLeod. You know what you've got with Will Bednar. And now all of a sudden you got to find a third starter. If Ginn comes back, you know you're, you're you're good there. And then I was told yesterday Brandon Smith has put on 20 pounds of muscle and looks like a million bucks. You know, of course he got hurt in a false scrimmage, and so uh, you know this is where I think you know the stoppage of play kind of helps him because he doesn't lose the year of eligibility. Brandon Smith's a big time player. Brandon Smith was going to be a big part of the rotation last year for Mississippi State, whether it be as a middle reliever or a closer or a midweek starter. Could have been a weekend guy. But you begin to think about getting him back, and if he's anywhere close to form, that's a win for Mississippi State. You begin to think about these guys that are kind of coming in and doing some things, especially from the junior college standpoint. That's where State has found some value in junior college pitching. And kind of looking at some of these guys here, you know, you've got you know Parker Stinnett out of Northwest Community College coming in as a right-handed guy. He'll factor in. Preston Johnson coming in from Heinz Community College. He'll be a factor. Left-handed pitcher from Pearl River Community College. Cole Alford, uh, Drew Talley coming in from Wallace State, former Division One signee out of Memphis. And so you've got some guys coming in that are going to be hungry for innings. And so the level of competition for Scott Foxhall's group is fixing to go through the roof. You're about to have some very talented players really, really competing, and there's only so many innings to go around. And so the competition makes everybody better. And you already know what we had coming back. You had Riley Self rounding back into form. Spencer Price looked better than we have seen him since his sophomore year. And there were times, guys, that I really felt like he was finished. I really did. I'll be honest with you. You know, Last year he was basically a mop-up guy. Then he comes back in 2020 and looks more like himself and began to gain some confidence. And baseball is such a confidence game. You know, if, if you rely on your training – and you do the things that you're supposed to do, and all of a sudden you begin to have some success, then you really begin to buy into your, your coaching and your, your training even more. And so that's what I think happened with Spencer, is once he began to have some success, and I think Scott Foxhall was a big part of that rehabilitation, and you saw what he was last year, because we were all concerned about, hey, you know, with, with Colby White and Cole Gordon moving on, what are we going to do on the back end? And then you, you have Riley Self and, and – uh, and Spencer come back and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not done yet. And so that bodes well for the future. Those guys will be coming back, and, you know, that that's a big part of things. So we know what we're going to have starting rotation-wise with the exception of JT Ginn. And then you've got enough pieces coming in and coming back to kind of piece together the middle innings uh, to get you to that back end, and you know what you've got with, with Self and Spencer Price. 
And I think Dave Dunleavy is a guy that, uh, you know, he was a bit of a gamer, a little bit inconsistent at times, but uh, didn't really have a big fall, but then had a couple of really big outings for State uh, during the season. So I will submit to you right now, I believe Mississippi State is going to have one of the best pitching staffs in America. We probably need another bat or two to kind of step up. If you get everybody back with the exception of Westberg and Foscue, I think you have probably survived the worst-case scenario. You lose Hatcher, you lose T.A., it's a different day and time. you got to get those guys back. So if you only lose Westberg and Foscue, Mason Land, not the power guy of any of those guys just yet, but I think that he's a guy that can contribute. And then, you know, I think another year in the weight room for Cam James, I think eventually he does become a double-digit home run guy. You know what Logan Tanner can do, and he was just a freshman. You know, and so th- there will be some offensive production, but there's a few pieces you still kind of got to work out there. Uh, how do you replace a guy like Fosky in the order? That's where I think a guy like Josh Hatcher has to, has to really kind of come on and kind of carry more of the weight. Because if you begin to think about, you know, T.A. and Josh back in the middle of that order as left-handers, it really makes life difficult for people in the SEC. I mean, you can mix and match only so much. And Josh Hatcher last year really took some strides hitting left-handed pitching. That was what he really struggled with early in his career. And there were some times last year they would pitch him away, 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 and he would still find a way to get good wood on the ball and uh, drive it into the outfield so we could have a productive out. And so excited about every bit of that. I miss baseball. I, I, I really, really miss college baseball. And listen, I like the MLB, but I love college baseball. And uh, I miss being out of Dirty Noble Field. That's one thing we do right. We do college baseball right. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, too. You know, a lot of my better memories, you know, with you guys and you know, kind of growing up was out at Dirty Noble Field. Yeah, and that's the one thing, that the ties that bind us. You know, it's when we can go unite under the maroon and white banner and go cheer for the Diamond Dogs. And we share a memory together. And uh, we come back and say, you know what? I remember I met you. I met you and we, we, we swept all Miss. You know, we, we beat all shoot. I remember walking out together and how much fun that was. And that's what things, you know, losses like Tom, when Tom Menyard, you know, passing away. It's one of those things that uh, I look back and it's been a sad day for me. It's one of the reasons Boneyard is as late as it is, is I didn't even know if I was going to record today because I've, I've really felt down in the dumps for all this. But again, this is not about me. This is about Tom and his family. And uh, my loss of him as my friend is something that I feel. But the people that have spent their lives with him, his lovely wife, Pam, and their, their children, uh, their loss is immense. And uh, I will miss Tom. I will miss seeing him on the road. I will miss seeing him at Duty Noble Field. I can't count the times that, uh, you know, I'd be getting set up there, go down during pregame warm-ups, and, uh, you know, whether it be on the road at A&M or at Arkansas or whatever, and uh, go down and, and shoot some pictures, and all of a sudden I felt a tap on my shoulder, and it's Tom and Pam Minyard. And, uh, you know, I know Pam loved it too, but she loved it because Tom loved it. And, and so I say all that to say, you know, we've got a great thing here with Mississippi State baseball. We have to nourish it. We have to cherish it. We have to always protect it with all costs. And uh, there are some relationships out there that we have, that we have built because of our collective love of Mississippi State. And uh, I hope that moments like these draw us even closer. I, I know I, I shared on social media, on my personal Facebook account, as well as on, on my Twitter, a link to Tom Minyard 
talking through Elijah McNamee's final at bat at Duty Noble Field. You've seen it from you've seen the ESPN version, and you've seen you know the. But Tom happened to be sitting a couple of seats down from Elijah's mom Jennifer, and so he's filming it and he's just kind of talking through it, man. And it's perfect. I mean, you go through and you see it. He works through every, gives you the count, and he goes, "Man, this is Elijah's final at bat here. What must be going through his mind? You know, what what the emotions, the memories, everything." And then we get 3-0, and he goes, oh, you know, he's looking green light here. You know he's wanting the green light. You know he doesn't want to walk in his final at bat. And then we get to 3-2, and then he hits a three-run homer, and it's like, and he takes you through the full at bat. And to me, it took me back to Duty Noble Field. And I'm so glad that Tom did that. You know, Tom did that from time to time, and sometimes it was better than others. But that was that was one of those moments for this generation. It's like I think about – you know, that grand slam for Burke Masters in 1990, you know, for, you know, for a teen, as a teenager, uh, yeah, I graduated that year. That, that was our moment. And I think about, you know, Elijah McNamee gave this generation a few, right? You know, the walk-off against Florida State, the walk-off against Vanderbilt, the Super Regional, which is one of my favorites. But the last one that he gave us was very special. And, uh, I think Tom made it even more special. And so go find it on Twitter, share it. Uh, I have shared it today, and it's picked up about 2,000 new views since we've shared it. Uh, but I'm, I will miss my friend. And I know many of you have losses out there as well of relationships that uh, through this difficult time that we've all kind of had to learn to live through. And uh, But I am very, very grateful for the time spent together and the memories that we made. And all, every time that I ever went somewhere and uh, – you know, Tom was always like, hey, listen, me and Miss Pam want to take you out to dinner. You know, I know you're away from your family and everything else. I don't want you eating by yourself. You know, that's just the kind of person that he was. And he, again, like I told you guys top of the show, he made it his business to go get to know your baseball parents and really was a great ambassador for the Mississippi State family. And I'm sure many of those baseball parents, you know, there's, there's a fraternity among that group. And as a former college baseball parent myself, you know, you get to know those other families, and, you know, we're all sharing in the same expense, you know, and so you have dinner together and that sort of stuff. But Tom went out of his way to extend the hand of hospitality and family to people that, uh, you know, were kind of in a foreign territory. You know, he wanted those people to know, hey, you're not here by yourself. We're here to pull for y'all. We're here to pull for your kids. And uh, there needs to be more of that. There's a lot of it already. But my hope is, you know, we can be a little more like Tom. That when we see somebody wearing that maroon and white shirt, when we pass them, we're a little more willing to say Hell State. You know, especially in times of trouble like this. I think it helps to be united. If you hadn't done so, let me encourage you to go to StarkVillainsTheBook.com. And many of you have been, and thank you so much as of late. We have seen a spike in sales. I guess people are eager for some sports. And But go to Stark Villains, the book. You can order Flim Flam and Stark Villains. And uh, we'll get that out to you. Matter of fact, I signed some books today for some folks that uh, were eager for some read material. And I won't tell you who, but one of you, your daughter, bought your books and uh, both books. And uh, I signed those for you. And they're on the way. And so enjoy those. And I'm working on uh, the sequel. I will be done at the end of this month. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I'll be done at the end of this month. And we'll get that through the editing process and out to you. The plan is to have it out for you at the beginning of the football season. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.